Welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show about two guys watching every episode of the Andy Griffith Show in order to learn a little bit about society and America and apple pie and ourselves. And what is happening inside baby boomers' heads. That's that's pretty much what it is. That's uh, what yeah. we're going for anyway. And we haven't, we've not made any progress on that front. I'm Marty Schneider. <laughs> I'm Dan Ludwig. We've begun to enter the labyrinth of a baby boomer psyche. We're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna crack it. It's gonna take at least three seasons. And you know, in, in the last episode, uh, I actually like finally confessed. I was like, hey, I like this episode. I like what we're watching on the Andy Griffith show. This is really sweet. I understand why somebody would enjoy this. But the episodes we've got today blow oh, that Christ. out of the freaking water. Like, so, uh, I, I, the thing I always, I harp on these like episodes a lot. Like I, like I talk about like, like various degrees in which they are shitty. And I think like, I I remembered a quote recently that sort of crystallized my feelings on this, which is a uh, uh, it was actually a quote by Dan Harmon, and he talks about how like in the seventies pre Jaws, like a movie didn't have to have a big climax moment; it didn't need to fit this like refined arc. It could, his his exact quote was: "A movie could just be Gene Hackman wandering around a house, and then he jerks off and shoots himself in the head." Like basically, like and this is sort of that where they hadn't really like. Like, stories hadn't conformed to any sort of preset structure yet. So it was just, like, there were just entire episodes where, like, I'm just sort of marveling at what they got away with. Yeah, and, like, this this first episode is not a story. It's not no. a plot. It's Andy thought something, and he was wrong. The end. Add for yeah. cigarettes. <laughs> there's no climax. Like, there's no rising action, and there's no falling action. It's... It's just a series of events. Like, it's sort of the most realistic story because, like, it is literally A happens, then B happens, then C happens, and then there's sort of a twist, but not really. If anything, there's an anti-twist. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Uh, so, like I yeah. said, um, last week I said something like, I'm starting to understand what makes this the Andy Griffith show. Why is this the show? And, like... With these two episodes, I, I, I'm I back to just shaking my head at it. So our first episode is called Mayberry on Record. Uh, mm. And it aired February 13th, 1961. Uh, this was directed by Gene Reynolds. What are uh, his previous credentials? Is he the horny one? Is this no, the no, horny no, no, director? No, 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 no. Uh, Damn uh, it! Gene Reynolds, we, we met last time with Alcohol and Old Lays. Gene Reynolds... Oh. He also directed Andy the Marriage Counselor, which is the episode we should have done before this. But we're actually skipping one episode. So we're skipping Andy the Marriage Counselor uh, because we're trying to get an actual marriage counselor to come onto the show and talk about it. It might work, we, it might not. But uh, We need an adult for Andy the Marriage Counselor. That show is full of so much real shit that we need, like, a professional. It is definitely a topic that deserves better than us. So Yes, exactly. Uh, I am so, terrified of that episode. 
So we're skipping that for now. We'll we'll return back to it hopefully next week. This is Maybear on Record, uh, directed by Gene Reynolds, written by one of my favorite names, John Fenton Murray, and, <laughs> and Benedict Freeman. John Fenton Murray. That's better than Bob Sweeney. It sounds like the name of a Civil War general who died very poorly. Like, who did a picket's charge that, and then just, like, tripped and shot himself in the head by accident. Yeah, no, that's absolutely what it is. Uh, yeah. Alright, so this is February of 1961. I'll do the one-sentence Wikipedia description. A stranger comes to town to produce a record of Andy and a local bluegrass band. But Andy suspects he's a con artist. That's it. That's the episode. Let's move on, folks. I mean, this this episode, while being not very good, does feed into my running theory that Andy is a con man. He literally does a thing of, like, a con man recognizes another con man. I've seen this move a thousand times when I did it all over Tennessee. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they fired this dude. You know what else John Fenton Murray wrote? Mayberry what? Goes Hollywood. Another episode so, I hated. God, yeah, no, he yeah, is they, really, like, the sad trombone of writers. And, like, and these are basically the same episode. Like, this is basically the same premise as Mayberry Goes Hollywood, except instead of everybody else losing their mind that the stranger came to town and did exactly what he said he was going to do, this time it's Andy losing his mind. Other than that, these are identical episodes. It's sort of... A shitty version of uh, of those gossiping men. Like, it's like a stranger comes to town and everyone thinks he's a producer, except he is. Like, it's just that it's it's those gossiping men, but without the conflict or any sort of farce whatsoever. All right, so let's go ahead and actually talk about this episode. We start off with Andy cleaning out the courthouse. He's just kind of sweeping up, and then Barney comes in uh, with doing the extremely libertarian pastime of complaining about taxes. He's got his paycheck in his hand, and uh, he's complaining to, to Barney about how many deductions and taxes and things are there, and saying that with his after that, he doesn't have any money left. And Andy takes the uh, side of the liberal government and says, uh, look, those are all legitimate government deductions. And fortunately, they don't discuss it anymore, because I feel like that could have been an entire episode in itself. Well, one thing, we've called Andy a libertarian before, because he doesn't really super believe in the law that much, but, so, Andy is taking a surprising stance in favor of the the social contract and taxes, like, he, he he's, and he even says the line, like, you can't take it with you, and to which Barney says, if they keep taxing me like this, I'm surprised they'll let me go, like, it's weird it's we really can't get a handle on the uh on the Andy's economic politics, view yeah yeah no he's slippery he's hard to like we called him a libertarian we called him a conservative we called we've like a couple of times thought maybe he might be left-leaning i have no goddamn idea at this point yeah there's there's not a whole lot of consistency uh which is yeah. i guess part of the reason why people like like this show so much because you can definitely project your own ideals onto andy He's a, he's a, a, oh, I'm going to mispronounce it, Rorschach blot. Uh, like, you can sort of... blot test, yeah, yeah, Rorschach test. Yeah, Rorschach test. You can sort of, like, look at him and see whatever you want. So, Barney comes in, and he's complaining about how small his paycheck is after the taxes. He refers to himself as Barney Sucker, and, uh, which I (laughs) guess... It's not even a pun! It's not a good joke. Yeah. So, 
Barney says that uh, if he wants to make any real money, I guess uh, I guess I'll have to start investing. And uh, Andy cautions him against investments because he says basically like there are plenty of con men out there. I know I'm one of them. Uh, yes. And he says there's plenty of con men out there, and you are exactly the kind of fool that would get taken from your, from your money. To prove this, he then cons Aunt Barney into taking a $75 deal to buy a nickel because Andy convinces him that this is a rare, valuable nickel, uh, that Andy is apparently a coin collector. And I find it very odd that, like, Barney would not say, we've known each other three years and have never seen you collect a coin, but whatever. So he pulls this I mean, nickel out of the his The whole desk. exchange is a really, like, terrifying, like, demonstration into Barney's level of competency. He he demonstrates subpar spatial awareness. He can't tell left from right Correct. when told. Yeah. He, like, he, he, he might not have object permanence, and he has a gun. Andy pulls a nickel out of his desk, and he says to Barney that if he wants to invest in something, he might want to take up coin collecting. Look at this nickel right here. See that buffalo on there? But well, tells you how old this is. The buffalo's facing the wrong way. I bet this nickel is worth a couple hundred dollars. You know, and there can't be more than two or three in the world. And Barney is intrigued by this, and he offers to buy that nickel from Andy for $75. Which, I, you know, I didn't check, but I'm sure that that was actually a lot of money in 1960s money. Uh, so $175 back then was about a grand. Uh, okay, we yeah, determined so about... that during Annie the Horse Trader. Sure. So so he was offering $75, so that's about 400 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he offered he offered him about 400 bucks for this nickel. And he takes the nickel from Andy, compares it up against another nickel that's in his pocket, and realizes the buffalo are facing the same way. And yeah. that's when buffalo... When Andy tries to trick him and basically says, uh, well, come over here, because now they're facing opposite directions, and Barney can't tell his right from his left. He takes the coin away from him, turns it away from Barney, and says, no, it is facing the, a different direction. And Barney goes, oh, that makes sense, because as soon as Barney isn't looking at something, he no longer has any understanding of it whatsoever. Right. This man wields authority, and he has preschooler... A preschooler level, like, situational awareness. It's terrifying. So, Barney figures it out. He gets mad, and he curses out uh, Andy. He never gives him the $75, which is good. And at that point, Ellie walks into the room and says, Hi, here's what little of a plot we have. <laughs> um, so she walks in with, Miss, with a newcomer to town, Mr. Maxwell. Uh, played by some guy. I don't know. The guy's name is... Hugh Marlowe. Um, again, is that the character's name or the actor? The the actor's name is Hugh Marlowe. Uh, that is the most old-timey actor name we have heard on the show yet, and it is just escalating more and more. So Hugh Marlowe plays a character named Mr. Maxwell, uh, who is a record producer. And he has come to town because he's looking for people to make some folk music album or something with. And he carries with him a giant, like, tape recorder that comes in a suitcase and then they give a little demonstration they hook it up in the office barney takes the microphone but he kind of like gets caught up and stumbles on it it's not really that funny but whatever we've established that this dude is a record producer and andy says well hey would you be interested in hearing some folks from mayberry play some songs i've got a folk 
band, whatever. Um, and then Barney busts out the stupid harmonica joke again. Every time with that fucking harmonica, I think, and they they ne- they don't let him play it again. He's like, "Hey, how about I play some harmonica for you again?" And and then he just blows on it two times, and then the scene is over. So it is literally, I can't tell if the joke is like, like it's a reoccurring bit of Barney never gets to play his harmonica, or if just the sight of a harmonica is is a knee slapper to people. Is that then. supposed to be real funny that harmonicas exist? They have a Jews harp in this episode later on. But the I think the joke must be, and we like we tried to like figure this out. I think literally back then they were just like, oh, the harmonica is a shitty instrument for idiots. Look at Barney who thinks that people are going to be impressed by his stupid tiny trumpet. Like, that's the best I got. Like They were anti harmonica, I, I I guess. I don't know. So then they go down to Floyd's barbershop, which is apparently where the band rehearses, and the band is uh, Andy and a bunch of teenage boys. That's not weird. The teenage boys look like they're being held at gunpoint. Their facial expressions are so terrified. They, it doesn't even look like they're a band that the show got. It looks like they were, like, rounded up off the street and and offered, like, $20 to be on the show. They're all sweating bullets, screaming with their eyes, and have, like, pursed lips. It is the picture of horror. So they play the song called Float called flop eared mule and i can't tell if this is a traditional song because the first time we see andy in this episode he is singing a traditional bluegrass song he's singing cripple creek which is a song i'm familiar with flop eared mule is in uh the library of congress okay all right so so this is a traditional song uh so i'm not going to get too hung up on the lyrics which are very very silly uh but it doesn't matter so they play this song Mr. Maxwell records it, and uh, then they record another song, and people are getting out ready to leave. When Barney says something like, wow, do you really think that this album is going to be worth all the trouble? Mr. Maxwell, the producer, says something like, well, if I sell this record, I hope to make 25 cents per record sold. And then just some teenage punk, some dude who was in the band is just like, that doesn't sound like shit. Yeah. (laughs) 25 cents an album? That the sucks, first time loser. Any of them speak is just like, well, fuck you, like idiot. You're stupid. Like, like your stupid life's calling. Like, like, well, this is a stupid fucking idea that you're doing. Like, right. it's kind of great that the first line is just him going like, like, oh, way to waste your life, idiot. I'm gonna go play this guitar more. Like, <laughs> and, and Mr. Maxwell, to his credit, handles it pretty well because he's just like, you apparently don't understand multiplication. He's like, yeah, sure, yeah, like. I can sell 25 cents an album, but what if I sell 500,000 albums, man? Come on. And uh points out that, like, so he gets 25 cents an album, and the people who, like, were on the record there get, like, 3 cents an album, which is a pretty shitty deal. But whatever. Yeah. That's like the, it's like the standard royalty rate or whatever. And then, this is where stuff gets a little fuzzy. Floyd, of course it's Floyd, <laughs> the opportunist, is just like, Oh, what, what about those of us who aren't playing? What, what what about those of us who had nothing to do with this? Shouldn't I have some money? Where's the money for Floyd? Floyd, who is <laughs> incredibly greedy and, like, the easiest person to con ever because he is willing to throw his money away at literally anything. Floyd asks the question, what about the people who aren't able to sing or play instruments? We deserve to make money off of this too. Which do you, Floyd? You do don't. you deserve to? I, I guess, no. I guess he could make the argument that it was recorded in his shop, 
But still, that's a flat fee at most, Floyd. You don't get royalties. Like, I, I feel like uh, it, it's almost like a, a stealth takedown of investing because Floyd is just like, what about how do people make money when they don't have any discernible skills or talents whatsoever? And then the show is like, well, may I introduce you to the wonderful world of stock? Like, okay, it, it does. It tries to do that, but it fucking fails. Because yeah. what, what's about to happen is Mr. Maxwell's like, wait, are you saying you want to buy shares of this endeavor? Because he's ba- Mr. Maxwell's response is, look, I'm putting up my own money for this. That's why I get the most money, dick. Yeah. <laughs> and Floyd responds, well, let us give you some money. And he says, Mr. Maxwell, like, are you saying you want to buy shares of this endeavor? And they go, yeah. And he goes, well, that's not. And at no point in time does anyone say that's not how stock works. Like, Which... you can't buy shares of a single product. I can't go to my, like, stockbroker, you know, that I totally have. Uh, I can't go to my stockbroker and be like, I would like to buy 500 shares of the Ford Fiesta. <laughs> well, Ford Motor Company is doing very well. No, no. Just the Fiestas. I don't want any <laughs> money from those stupid trucks. I just want those sporty, spicy boys out on the frickin' road. Just, or the, I... just the extremely trendy and surprisingly roomy Ford Fiesta. <laughs> or if I started selling tamales out of the back of my car, and you were like, this seems like it's gonna really take off. I wanna get in on this. And I'll be like, well, I'll, I'll sell you some stock. How? How? It's literally just a guy with a fucking rec, uh, with a fucking, like, like, recorder. Who is, like, he doesn't have a company. He's just a motherfucker. Like, <laughs> like. It's just some dude. Was a stock back then just an IOU? Or does the Andy Griffith show not understand how stock works? I don't like, understand. You can't just buy stock in a thing. You can't buy which, stock. And where is this money he, going? He's already he, made all of the investment. He's already like bought the hardware. This is all him. What is he doing? He, he even says, like, I haven't, I, I, I'm not a company that has stock. That's not a thing I do. I haven't, I'm not public or anything like that. And they're like, come on. And he's like, well, all right. Like, no, you can't just like do stock. You can't like, he's just basically writing IOUs. Like, <laughs> this is Andy's diagnosis of this as a con is a really like, like dead on thing. Just because no one involved in this situation adheres to anything close. Like, none of this is legally viable. If you would, however, like to invest in Breaking Mayberry, the show, you could donate to our Patreon that we don't have. Uh, or you could send an email to us at breakingmayberry at gmail.com if you're interested in being our sponsor, Ford Fiesta. Um, One sec, let me find my Venmo account. I'll, we'll just, we'll just like edit that in here, just like, like where you can find me on Venmo. It gives you, similar to this situation, it, I have absolutely no legal obligation to you whatsoever. Maybe a handshake deal? If this ever makes money, I super duper promise to give you a percentage. Uh, you just want to Floyd it up with this? Look, I, I I know that we've spent an entire like good chunk of this episode talking about how stock works and doesn't work, but you need to understand that's the entire episode. Like everything <laughs> from here on out hinges on that. So now the next scene we see is that Andy comes into the office the next day, and there's Barney 
reading the like market and business page of the newspaper and talking about how the market was uh, bullish and chemicals held steady or some stupid shit. Uh, and like, smoking a cigar. Yeah, absolutely. Being a big like business, like business wise, this is all excellent business. Is essentially what he's doing, uh, and he's acting real arrogant, real smug about it, as Barney's want to do whenever he thinks that he's onto something. Uh, and this like piques Andy's interest. Andy basically says, "You fell for a con. There's no way that this person is legit. They just took your money." He, 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 he does not just say you fell for a con. He says you fell for the oldest con, which is uh, making you think that it's your idea to give him money. Really? Because like, I've, I've heard that line and I was like, the oldest con is the old fake record company scheme? What? Like, uh, so uh, there's a uh, there's a, 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 an old line, uh, you can't con an honest man, which is basically... Uh, uh, you you present this this financial opportunity, and you just sort of present it as like, I I have this thing, and then you uh, you just lay it out. You don't invite the person to it, and then you make them so greedy that they start scheming for ways to get in on your financial windfall. Uh, that they're willing to like use any amount of money or do anything to get in on it. Uh, and then uh, it and then it's too and then you just skate away with the money they gave in. Uh. It, it, it is sort of an old thing of like, like you never, you never do a con where you're like, hey there, I have an offer for you. You come in and be like, oh man, here's this super exclusive money making opportunity I have that no one else is allowed into. And then uh, fear of, uh, fear of losing out, like just takes over and you, you'll, you'll spend any amount of money to claw your way into it. Sure, sure. And that's, yeah. and that's what Andy thinks is happening here. Uh, and then he... Goes to the the drugstore and he finds out that Ellie has also invested in this record, uh, and that argument goes on forever, as do all of their their arguments. She only interacts with him by being pissed off at him. Like it's literally they have the. I get why Eleanor Donahue eventually departs. They have the worst relationship. He's he just hurts her feelings. She only exists to like. Like, to prove what an asshole he is. I don't understand why she even vaguely likes him. By all accounts, they are, like... Like, she is... She's basically the antagonist of the show. But morally justified. They have a fight here while she's making him a Sunday, And then she, like, punishes him and gets angry by spraying extra whipped cream on there. Like, that's not a... That's not a way to show that you're angry. That's just Not an gift. effective power move. Just, yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for giving yeah. me more of this delicious, gooey substance than I would have had normally. Hey, fuck you, I put extra cheese on your burger. Like, suck it. Like, eat shit. There's extra, there's extra pepperoni on this pizza. Fuck off. I'm gonna be slight, make you slightly less healthy. Your cholesterol <laughs> levels can't handle this. Ha ha ha! Opie shows up for some dumbass reason just to remind us that this kid exists. And I don't even want to go into it. We, we've made fun of a lot about the fact that Ron Howard's acting is mostly screaming. This time was so particularly bad. Oh, like, he opens the door and immediately goes, Hello, Pa! And just one time, I want someone to, like, like, when Opie enters the room, just go like, Oh, Jesus! Like, like just be startled by this tiny, like, like, Ron Howard just skitters around the show and screams. Like, he's a terrifying little creature in this show. Yeah. 
Take, Take that. that, Ron Howard. You're like a loud version of the Xenomorph. The next thing that happens is we're treated to a short montage, again, of people coming to the hotel and performing for the stranger in town. It's the same fucking episode. So we're, It's, we it's exactly like those gossiping men. It is. It, it follows the exact same structure, except bad. Yeah, it's the same montage. Someone goes to the hotel, They everyone performs... Uh, there's a violin, there's the there's the harp, there's the band that comes back again, blah, blah, blah. Even if you like bluegrass music, which I do, this is intolerable. I mean, how long is this fucking record? Because at one point, by the end of the episode, he's just recording, like, farmers blowing into jugs. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's literally, does he just have a sign that's like, can you do literally anything that sounds vaguely like music? It's in the record. Is, like, he, is he made of tape? I don't. Yeah, that shit's like, got to be expensive. Like, like, it, is it a three record set? Like, is it? Is, is he selling a box set of like, like Time Live's like, Best of Mayberry? Four hours of jackassery featuring Mayberry. Like, it's it's so dumb. Like, again, the guy, this, none of this makes any sense. Andy is so dead on in thinking that this is a con. Andy comes in and doesn't confront the dude. Just kind of, like, pokes around and then leaves. And then the next scene is Andy talking to the rest of the crew. Uh, Floyd, Barney, and two some assholes. Um, and they're just talking about how he believes it's a con. And... Andy, uh... uh why does he... Why does he need to mean girls this? He needs to, like, like turn the crowd against him and, like, 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 like sway public opinion against the guy? He could have literally just gone into the hotel room and been like, hey, quick thing, I'm the sheriff. I need to see credentials that you're not a con man because I'm the sheriff. I'm Andy Griffith. I wield my authority like a, like a, like a lunatic. Just, just... Like, like, prove that you are who you say you are. Instead, he, like, he, he, he goes back to the crowd of other men and is, and is, like, like, he, like, he mean girls it. Like, he's, like, super clicky. You know, he, yeah, he, like, he, he doesn't round up a posse. He gets a, like, he gets a, a sewing circle together and is, like, well, you know what he said. He strongly implied that he was taking all of your money and getting out of town. Like, he gossips. Again, another parallel to these gossiping men. Uh, there is a pretty funny joke here. Finally convinced uh, to go check on it. Barney picks up the phone. He, like, grabs the phone and he's like, yells into it like, Okay, Cindy, get me Jason down to the hotel! And then he, like, under his breath goes, It's Barney! Barney's yeah. wife! Then he has to do it again when Jason uh, answers. Like, that that's a pretty good gag. Barney's it's a solid bit. Uh, I laughed at that. They find out that... Um, Mr. Maxwell has left. He's checked out. Mm-hmm. He's no longer in town. So, obviously, everybody gets all up in arms. They say, oh, holy crap, he left town with all of our money. Uh, and th- by this point, he's now turned Floyd and the two assholes against Mr. Maxwell. And they start, like, planning to go after him. There are two points where, uh, in this episode, where Barney taps his gun, like, menacingly. The first time is when he uh, fails at the microphone test, and he goes, "Well, I don't. I'm not much for talking." He grabs his pistol and says, "In my line of work, this baby does all the talking for me." And then, which uh, 
yeah, his terrifying thing of whenever he feels uh like, like he feels small or like a failure, he just waves around a pistol. Yeah, any any time if he's like inconvenienced or slighted in, in the slightest bit, he just says, "Well, I've got this gun." Like he's really a poster child for like for gun control and gun management, uh, which we'll get into in the next episode. That pistol on his belt is phallic as all hell. And then in this time, uh, as they're planning on going after Mr. Maxwell, like, Barney gets real serious. Real serious. He's all, you know why he's real serious, Dan? Because it's a manhunt! Manhunt! Um, and this time, because he's all in manhunt mode, he's like, oh, we're get him. We're gonna get him. He's, like, tapping his gun, like, anxiously. Meanwhile, Ellie just goes back to her job and enter Mr. Maxwell, uh, who says, hey, guess what? I went to... Virginia or something, and I sold our record. Hooray! Here's a check for five thousand dollars. Yeah, I guess is split amongst the town people now. I trust you to distribute this uh, this fairly. Like I, I I I didn't have the time to do up multiple checks because I didn't distribute real stocks. They were just pieces of paper. I could have fucked off at any time. <laughs> so then they go back to. Uh, they go back to the jail cell, or the, the courthouse, where everyone is, like, planning their posse. And I want to point out, we see the return of the metal magnet map from Manhunt. Oh, God, yeah. It has a little bit of continuity. They are now planning out routes on the magnetic map in episode two that just made Andy so amazed. So, you know, a little bit of continuity. They, they, can't, they can't keep together who the hell is on the damn town council but <laughs> but they they know they all the sure. routes to hunt a man down like so barney fife can very clearly shoot him in the back they made like, sure to get that that metal that metal map from manhunt back manhunt whoa that was bad that was i like that one. Um, oh god god damn so then they just walk in uh, like, the first person who sees him is Floyd, and all of, he comes back and he says, well, looks like the criminals returned to the scene of the crime, and everyone's real smug about it, and Andy's the smuggest of all, uh, until Mr. Maxwell's like, hello, hi, I have no personality, here's a contract, and Andy again thinks it's a con until he starts reading it, and he goes, oh, whoa, holy crap, national records, you sold this thing, that's right, and here is a check for money dollars. And then Andy looks quite the fool. And then that's it. That's the episode. Bye, everyone. Oh, God. Yeah, so they, they do this twist of, like, Andy was wrong. And Andy learns a lesson about how he needs to be more trusting. Literally everything that happened up until this point in the show indicated that Andy was right. Like, I like I would have 100% made the same judgment. I don't know. Like, the moral was bad. Because the moral is don't. Don't, don't, like, logically evaluate anything that happens before you. Trust blindly and just throw your money around because people are nice? Ellie said so? Was it a lesson about how Andy needs to trust Ellie more? I don't know. There's there's not a lesson here, man. There's no, there's nothing. This is a nothing episode. There's no, there's no conflict. There's no, I guess there's a tiny bit of a conflict. But there's no, like, like twist. There's no plot. This isn't a plot. 
Andy was wrong about a thing is a like that's a starting point. Go See, back and try of, again. This isn't a story. This is one of the things where we sort of get to marvel at like the shit that could just count as an episode of television back then. If you put this on like on like full house, they would be like, "There's not enough conflict here." It, it, it's kind of just like like sort of like awe inspiring to just watch like an a, a writer back then just go like. Fuck it. Yeah. I'm just going to show a bunch of shit that what if this happened? I guess it would go completely normally the way you would expect. Anyway, the episode's over. See you guys later. Bye. We'll probably get it on the next one. Which, so, in this case, they do. So, yeah, let's, let's just go on to the next one. The, the epilogue to this is they walk in and Barney's reading the Wall Street Journal. And that's, we all have a good laugh. Whatever. They um, do that joke already. They just do the joke the second time. Yeah, it's the same joke. They did a harmonica joke two times in this episode, too. So, whatever. Christ, okay. fuck. I hate that stupid harmonica so much. It's so stupid. I, I Just let him play the fucking harmonica. I'm Clint. And I'm Jared. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Alcoholywood. Your source for inebriation, Which you're not listening to right now, because this is just a promo for a weekly podcast on all kinds of movies. New, old, good, bad. Yeah, especially bad. Plus, we invent a cocktail and a drinking game inspired by each film. And sometimes we make jokes. Not this time, but sometimes. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and check out the whole shebang at alcoholywood.com. Let's go on to the next episode. So this episode is called Andy Saves Barney's Morale, which makes oh, no sense. God. Like, that's that's half the fucking scripts. Like, most of these episodes are Andy Saves Barney's Morale. But this one what is... If, what This show is just Andy, like, being the catcher in the rye, but for Barney's feelings. Like, yeah. 90% of it... Of, like, I... I just keeping Barney from sinking into a deep, deep depression is half of Andy's job. Like, he does that, he protects Barney's feelings more than the actual town! And that, that's actually exactly what happens in this episode. Uh, so this was directed by Bob Sweeney, and uh, so are the next season and a half of episodes. These are all Sweeney's now. Sentient handlebar mustache, Bob Sweeney. And written by our good buddy David Adler, who we've seen before on... Um, Is this the horny writer? Is David, this the one? David Adler's the horny one, yes. Yes! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that comes up in this one, but I just like having him it around. It absolutely does! It does Wait. come up in this episode! When does the horniness happen? Uh, like, Barney goes to his girlfriend to, like, like basically, I'm gonna go have sex uh, with my girlfriend so I won't be so mad this shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, she gives him, like, a hand job to cheer him up or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, David yeah. Adler does, like, like, he finds a way to, like... Like, they, they had the script ripped up, and he was like, can we have, like, some implied fucking? And they're like, God, I hate this part of your contract. <laughs> uh, okay, so, this, so here we go. February 20th, 1961. Here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Andy goes out of town, leaving Barney in charge for the day. But when he returns, he finds that Barney put the whole town in jail. Now, I want to point out, I predicted this shit way back in the second episode. Like, yeah, way you back, did. I was like, eventually, like this reign of terror, like this this benevolent dictatorship that Andy has to, has set up in Mayberry, where he runs everything. 
has to fall into the wrong hands, and those hands are definitely Barney Fife's. Uh, and this episode is evidence. This episode just sits there as proof that that is exactly what happens. Uh, this episode is a is is a very effective political statement about the consolidation of power. Yeah. Like it's sort of it's almost it's a Barack Obama Donald Trump situation where Barack Obama's presidency was was sort of predicated on Barack Obama always being president and this consolidated power always being in the hands of a like a benevolent like I was going to call him a a philosopher king but I don't actually think Barack Obama was a philosopher king but he sort of everyone sort of thought he was like, all right. So, I mean, the Barack Obama presidency was sort of predicated on him, like the 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 reins of power always being in the hands of someone like Barack Obama, like this benevolent philosopher king, uh, which is sort of how Democrats saw him, and they never sort of entertained the possibility of it be of this consolidated power being transferred into the hands of someone like Donald Trump and or Barney Fife. So it's almost sort of the perfect political allegory for right now like it's it it is we are literally seeing a perfect a perfect like cartoon character example of why consolidation of power is bad hey you know what i'm gonna i just went ahead and clicked on something while you were talking because i wasn't listening to you uh cool during on that's fair (laughs) no i clicked on something on the andy griffith show wiki uh so our buddy david adler wrote under a pseudonym. His actual name was Frank Tarloff. Why was he okay. writing under a pseudonym? Because he was blacklisted after his testimony for the HUAC committee. Holy shit fuck. Yeah, oh he my was, god. He was McCarthy'd. He was McCarthy'd. What did he write before he was McCarthy'd? Uh, episodes of a couple of like the Donna Reed show, the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, stuff like that. We should look more, we should look more into this guy. But not right now. But we'll put a put a pin in that. So, okay, so new agenda for in the near future. We gotta see, like, which of the, uh, because it's probably not just him. A couple people on this show probably got McCarthy'd. I forgot that this cancer was ripping through Hollywood at this point. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so our buddy David Adler actually writing under a fake name. So anyway, so let's go ahead and start the episode. Uh, Andy is getting ready, he's getting his suit and tie on, because he's gotta go to charlottesville no centerville something like that uh to go testify in court as the sheriff occasionally has to do and this is barney's big chance he's acting sheriff and he's getting very excited about this he's saying should we make up a sign for me acting sheriff Uh, which is very silly because it's only eight hours at one point in time he picks up the rifles off the rack the rifles that he strokes so lovingly and says something like like boy makes the acting sheriff feel good to have these around and he's like very clear. He's, he says like he says that he wants to have the tear gas canisters out in case he needs them. He says he's got. Barney be... Fife runs through his artillery. He he waves around a double barreled shotgun. He talks about uh, using the riot gun, and he asks for access to the tear gra- uh, tear gas grenades. And which, th- these which are jokes Andy's... that particularly do not land in twenty eighteen. Yeah. No, and Andy says that he they only have one tear grass grenade, and he's hidden it because he's afraid of Barney Fife finding and using it. Yeah, I mean, again, in 2018, with, like, the militarization of the police uh, and the basic, like, you know, now, now that, like, small-town police forces like Mayberry have armored vehicles, uh, it's, it's, this joke did not age well, and it's kind of cringeworthy. I'm- 
Um, I mean, I feel like it's sort of aged super well. It's almost like, like it's sort of looking into the future. Like you sort of see the origins of this artillery lust. Like you have like, you 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 have like these the, like a small town cop like lovingly stroking a double barrel shotgun and being like, oh, I hope that something happens that I can use this. And like I think it was it was treated as a joke back then, and they didn't realize that they were accidentally like carving into the psyche of the small town cop and predicting something really fucked up that was gonna happen. That that's basically the setup. Andy leaves, and then he comes back and basically like smash cut to Barney come I'm sorry, Andy coming back, and he enters and he, he says, Hey Barn, job well done, everything looks you know peaceful and calm out here they go in and barney has locked up everyone and there's only two cells so everyone's just packed in there now this is a to to your point about committing a human human rights violation it's 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 weird now to your part about consolidation of power uh andy says why are all these people locked up like this and barney points out that you made him the acting sheriff, you did not make him the acting justice of the peace, so he can't try all these people. He had to wait for Andy to get there to try all these people. Again, it's still super weird that that you know Andy is both the judge and the uh, sheriff, but whatever. So I mean, it's also uh, kind of a, a, a neat parallel. Uh, so, like, what cops will often often try to do. Is uh, if you get arrested on a uh, on a Thursday or a Friday, cops will often, as like a tactic to make you sweat, try to stall for time so that you have to stay in over the weekend. Basically, on like basic, try to keep a judge away from you to keep you in the jail cell as like uh, until the weekend hits, so that they can keep you in for three or four days. So it's sort of weird that uh, that Barney kind of like they don't Barney clearly doesn't do it on purpose. But he kind of accidentally does the same thing that a lot of modern cops are doing to fuck with uh, with dissonance. Nice. Well, yeah. that's, a, that's a thing. So Chilling. Then, so then they go through these stages where uh, Barney, ha- or Barney brings out these people one by one uh, so that they can be tried. Uh, the first person, let's see, who's in there? Uh, the, the bank president. A random farmer. A uh, random farmer who is, like, brought out there for disturbing the peace. Uh, even because Barney saw him yelling at someone during a checkers game. Except he can't yell. Flips a checkers board and Barney claims that he threw a, a board of checkers which could have hurt somebody. And disturbs the peace by screaming. He arrests Aunt B uh, on uns- unlawful assemblage. Uh, and uh, since he arrests Aunt B, he also has to bring Opie in. So Opie is in the jail cell. He arrests Aunt B on uh, uh, unloss, uh, unlawfully assembling, refusing to uh, to disperse, and inciting a riot. Right. Yeah, uh, because she raised an umbrella at him and wagged it at him. So he, he qualifies it as a riot because it was three or more people threatening violence on a police officer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he, he arrests the mayor. The mayor?! The mayor. The fat little mayor. <laughs> you are, you arrested the fat little mayor. He, he, <laughs> on loitering, like, right? That, 
that poor little man he could have died in that cell he was at like he was at best at the height of the small of everyone's back like how dare he he put him in in danger also this was basically a coup (laughs) yeah barney barney arrested like the only person in town who has authority over him that's true that is true andy lets everyone go surprisingly no one's like mad about this everyone's just kind of like tickled they're like ha ha oh barney you suck at cop like yeah no they come out super pissed and then andy starts trying their cases and with each one they do they're just like like they're all like here's the reason i was arrested you fucking idiot barney you dick like they go through one by one and by the end they get to otis and barney's like all right well i arrested otis surely i got this one right and uh he lays out the reason why he arrested him he drew a line of chalk on the ground otis couldn't see it and andy was like well how is he sober now but he couldn't see a line of chalk earlier and otis says i wasn't wearing my glasses i told him this i'm sober and uh so barney failed so completely that he managed to fuck up arresting the town drunk good job good job barney so everyone real low moment Everyone leaves and disperses, and, like, for the next couple of days, uh, they just, like, make fun of Barney mercilessly. Like, when they should be suing the shit out of him. But whatever, you can't do that anymore right now. It's 1960. They are incredibly chill about this. Like, they're just doing light mockery. He arrested a child. Being in a jail cell is not something that you can be chill about, especially if it's for a reason that you know is bullshit. So it's, it's like, the episode has this weird normalization of getting arrested for a thing that is clearly wrong. Like, they just treat it as like, like oh, I was in a jail cell for several hours while Andy was out of town. <laughs> this is funny, right? What an idiot. And they, they, they go ahead and they tease him over this. Like, basically, Barney is just, like, feeling bad. Let's, the next, like, ten minutes are dedicated to Barney Mopin. Oh, I guess no one takes me seriously because I suck at everything and I erect the rest of the entire... Good! Yes! Good! Like, you don't deserve respect! You are bad at your job! You're bad at this! And you did a bad job! And you should... You feel... Like, Barney feels bad proportional to how bad of a job he does. And no one is like, well, let's teach Barney how to be a better cop. No one's like, like, oh... Well, this is a learning experience so that the one one of two people in the town waving around a gun on Main Street might develop some sort of competence as a police officer. Let's just, like, mock him a little bit and sort of, like, like give him shit. This is like, kind of a recurring theme in Mayberry, or is it kind of a theme on this show? Everyone's just fine the way they are. Like, no yeah. one needs to learn or get better at anything. It's a big theme in the episode that we skipped. Uh, and we'll get back to it. But Andy, the marriage counselor, basically like, well, everybody plays their parts. I guess you're the part of the couple that fights. That's what you do. You don't need to improve or change in any way. Everyone's I fine. Mean, and, and that's why, like, this, this is definitely, definitely the, like, top television program of people who don't want to be inconvenienced or change or in any way, shape, or form. That's what you're saying. I, you're like, I, I miss Mayberry. You're like, I, I miss never having to change or... Or alter my behavior in any way. I mean, it's also it, it, this is a hardcore circle back to the thing that we uh, that we talked about in the first couple of episodes, which is 
nothing matters except people's feelings. Yep. And I feel like a big component of that is nothing matters except the feelings of wildly incompetent people. Like, Barney Fife commits a major abuse of power and goes on an arrest rampage, and the only thing that is treated as a severe consequence of that is that he worries that he's not good at his job. Like, it is really, like, when you when you hearken back to Mayberry, you hearken back to the, a point in time where everyone's feelings were incredibly important, regardless of their relation to reality. Where, where, where feelings were more important than what actually happened and the real consequences of the things that happened. God, I, I this, this freaking episode. So, it's, I mean, I, I don't feel like going into all the details of this. Basically, all you need to know is that Barney mopes around a few days, they, like, Call him up. They prank call the police station to try to get Barney down there because uh, to the post office because the postmaster general licked some stamps. There was a fight. Did you hear about the fight? I, I fucked that up. I don't care. Um, and that's pretty I mean, much it. So the 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 one part I do want to get into because this is a horny David Adler episode uh, <laughs> is that uh, to help. Andy, or to help Barney feel better, Andy goes to talk to Barney's girlfriend, Hilda May. And there's a flashback. Like, Hilda May gets in the car to explain to Andy what happened last night. And there's a flashback. And she does this whole, like, monologue. She's like, well, he came over, and I did all sorts of things to make him feel better. I I talked to him. I, I complimented I told him how brave and handsome he was. I even sat with my shoulders slouched. So that he was taller than I was, she does some weird shit to stroke this man's ego. And it is I'm... not healthy and not cool. But she's, uh, apparently it works, right? Like, for a minute. I mean, genuine question, are these people fucking, like, I mean, but like, Andy is clearly dating Ellie. Barney has, is, Something is going maybe on been, May. I mean, like, uh, uh, I can never tell, like, like where like 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 what the social norms are for two people dating at this point just because it's certain episodes it seems like everyone's just like being real chill and like oh yeah we're 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 dating we're hooking up because but but in others it seems like like this is the most like like uh like maybe maybe it's an unspoken thing and they're not allowed to reference it in any way like they have to be 10 times more subtle about it to make things more confusing, this is the last time we ever see Hilda May. Like, this is the most lines this actress has ever had. And that's it. Well, She's is gone. It, like, is it still the same? I think it's still the same character, but a new actress. No, according, again, according to the ultra-reliable Mayberry Wiki, uh, this is the last time. The next time we see, it's a different It's a different girlfriend. Man, um, Mayberry Wiki is just like the voice of God for this entire show. Like, uh, yeah. It is the Ten Commandments. So, so Hilda May mentions that... Uh, like, everything was going so well, and he was starting to feel real good, uh, and, but then I made a mistake, because she, like, goes to kiss him and messes up his hair, and he's, like, a little, he's, like, Doc Brown looking with the hair sticking up, and so she laughs at his silly hair, and Barney doesn't like to be laughed at, and she says this line with, like, the most utmost seriousness, at a point I was like, are you okay? Oh. Are, are you okay, Hilda May? It's, yeah, it's it it factors into that thing of like uh, women women's greatest fear is being murdered by men. Men's greatest fear is being laughed at. Like it's literally woman... exactly that. Yeah, yeah, no, and like 
like Barney like rolls into uh Barney like rolls in into the into the station and he's like disheveled and he's not shaving and he's not like taking care of himself like being laughed at is like like there is it's I, been I, two I, days by the way like, yeah no it he is like like there is the clear thing of like Andy is like okay so he's like like this is a life threatening situation like Barney is not okay um. So, uh, yeah. so, and then the solution to this is, again, kind of bullshit. Uh, he goes around, uh, Andy, I'm sorry. Andy goes around talking to some people. Uh, he goes to the old man, men playing checkers, and they're making a joke like, well, you better not get too mad, Judd, otherwise uh, Detective Sherlock Holmes will lock you up. They get make fun of him. And he goes, ha ha ha, yeah, well, guess I'm gonna have to fire that guy. And they go, What? And and he goes like, yeah, I can't have can't have Barney still be my deputy. Gonna have to pick another deputy. And that's it. He basically just goes from person to person, and like lightly hinting that he's gonna fire Barney. Which again, he absolutely should. Their response should have been, fuck yeah, do that. Uh, Aggressive non-solution. Like the most, the least you could solve a problem possible because he literally he punishes the townspeople. For uh, for daring to speak up about his wildly incompetent deputy by basically saying like, "Hey, just a heads up, because you're doing this, I'm gonna destroy this man's life." And everyone in town is is basically operating on like the unspoken thing of like, without this job, Barney Fife has nothing. He is going to be dead within a month. Yeah, this like is so, literally just to keep Barney from suicide. This is a dark, dark episode. Uh, but. Andy Griffith holds a gun to the bunny's head and says, stop talking shit about my wildly incompetent deputy or I'm going to kill him. Is this, like, knowing what we now know about David Adler and uh, the McCarthy thing, is, is there, I feel like there's something dark, like deeper going on with this episode. He's definitely working through some, some shit. It, uh, it I, feels like, it, it feels like it's, um, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to like, like broadcast this. This is getting a 10 fifes out of me. But after a certain point, it almost feels like, especially given the fact that this guy was blacklisted by McCarthy, it sort of feels like a, um, like it's almost a 10 fives intentionally. Yeah. Like it, like it's, it's almost like a critique of, uh, of power that like, cause uh, how can you make something this wildly morally reprehensible where just abuse of power is so like laughed off without like noticing it? Like, how can you make say, this? Even by the standard set by the past couple of episodes of the Andy Griffith show, this one is very bizarre. Uh, and a little uncomfortable, like, throughout the entire thing. Uh, so, the, let's just get to the, the conclusion of this, is that in order to help Barney feel better about his life and existence, uh, suddenly the townsfolk, led by Aunt B, waltz back into the jail, lock themsel- themselves up, they're like, you got us, Barney. You're the man, Barney. And they all just, I guess, serve sentences. Like this, they thing. they suck his authority, Dick. Like yeah. they they literally they like come up and they're like, you were completely right to arrest us for the stupid reasons you arrested us. You were right, Barney. We acknowledge your bullshit authority. Like, no, no, don't do that. Solve the problem by making Barney Fife better at his job. Like, give him any sort of competency whatsoever. 
He Again, arrested a child. No, he he doesn't have to change. It's ah, oh, it's this whole thing. Like he doesn't have to change. No one has to change. Everyone plays their parts. That's how Mayberry works. No one is accountable I mean, for anything. I feel like this show being the security blanket of baby boomers makes a little bit more sense where like a character has a severe failing and rather than having to deal with it, everyone else comes together as a community to sort of like paper mache over the issue. So it's like, it is the security blanket of like, hey, you fucking suck, but don't worry, that's everyone else's problem and we're all going to come together as a world to make that okay. Like, I get why this this show is soothing it doesn't matter that you're the worst don't worry the world is going to like take care of it it's kind of the shit that like baby boomers like yell at millennials about you want to just go to go to the ratings let's just go to the ratings this this is no longer funny uh it's got very dark we're sorry folks um i no 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 i feel like i'm happy with i'm happy with how mad i get i mean this is the 10 like it would it would not be the uh it not would it would not be the mo the pinnacle of a of reprehensibility without it getting a little dark like yeah we would not be doing a service that's true that's true all right so let's go ahead and uh do the ratings now uh ratings for mayberry on record starting with the andy meter one i hated this Uh, episode this episode sucks. I hated other episodes more than this episode, so two. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy and Opie, Housemakers, it comes up, and I've tried to finish that episode four times, so I can't give that episode... I have to maintain room on the scale for how shitty that one is. Alright, alright. So, and then, like, I guess five meter for that one is a zero? Like, nothing really bad happens. Mm. Nothing happens in that episode. Yeah, yeah. No, that episode is just a marvel of yeah. No, it's it's a it's it's a one. That episode is a marvel on just like nothing happening. It's it's almost beautiful to watch. All right, episode uh, the second episode we're talking about. Uh, Andy saves Barney's morale. We've both said it already. So our five score, how like gross and morally reprehensible? Ten, ten. This is you know. There's a lot of shit wrong with this episode. It's kind of actually really great, just because like. We've been fantasizing about what happens when Barney Fife takes over the town for the entire show so far. It it delivered. Yeah, like no, it like, gave us what we wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gave us. We stared into the maw of horror. Like we saw some fucking nightmares with this one. Like so, the question is then, Dan, uh, what's your Andy score? Did you actually enjoy like looking into the abyss? <sighs> oh man, yes, I think I did. I think it was like, like again, like yeah, yeah. No, I like I was happy the entire time I was watching it because like I it was it's like being on a fucking roller coaster. Like, like you're you're just like like sort of marveling at the crazy bullshit that is that is happening and like it's it just the cognitive dissonance that you get to watch. It's it, it, yeah, it's I give it like a six. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna yeah. give it. A, I'm gonna give it a seven. Seven Andy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, so should well, I mean, should you watch this episode? Yeah, I guess. Um Yeah, like, like I, I, I will I will recommend this episode. I'm not gonna recommend anybody watch Mayberry on record. Um, nope, nope, yes, yeah, watch it. Just cause it's like like I mean it it might be we gotta like look into this because it might be like a really great stealth like leftist takedown of authoritarianism. Like 
maybe like in writing the most reprehensible episode of the show so far he was like doing this like critique of authority like fucking mother like dude was blacklisted by uh wait so he was blacklisted by mccarthy before this and he was currently writing under a fake name that's what it sounds like yeah I feel like that's a viable possibility that this guy was basically like like calling out right-wing authoritarianism because this is almost too like picture perfect of a critique of authority. Like it almost feels like satire and maybe it is. He spent the next 12 he fled the country. He spent the next 12 years living with family in England and writing under pseudonyms. Hell yes. Like, okay, this guy is officially my favorite writer. He does all the ones that go off the rails sexually. He is definitely, like, uh, I guess this time's equivalent of a leftist. Like, he is into some shit. Is his biography on Amazon? No, like, his Wikipedia page is literally just three paragraphs. What the fuck? Um, This is... I'm gonna find some shit on this guy. Okay, alright. Let's get back. Alright, so... Yeah, so I'd give it a six, you know, um, yeah, for the reasons you listed. Like, this is almost intentionally dark. Uh, and knowing what we know about David Adler now, uh, I think that it is, like, like an indictment. Uh, so yeah, this is actually a good episode, and I definitely recommend people watch it. Uh, so let's say where you can watch it. So you can watch these episodes if you want to watch along with us. Uh, they are all available on Netflix, uh, and Amazon prime video and probably all over the internet uh, there are most of these are episodes are on youtube at least the early ones um so that's where you can watch them please you know watch along tell us if you think we're wrong tell us if you think we're way off base or tell us if you think we're right you can contact us on the twitter at break mayberry and thank you to everyone who's followed us and contacted us so far you can email us breaking mayberry at gmail.com uh, you can find me on the internet. I'm on Twitter. Oh, by the way, you can also go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Uh, I'm on the internet as at Schneid Remarks. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. Uh, I'm at the Luds 2Ds. You can follow Ron Howard at Real Ron Howard. Uh, don't forget to use hashtag tweet at Ron Howard. Uh, this time, tell Ron Howard how much you loved Solo. Tell him that your favorite part of Solo was... And then just describe a scene from Apollo 13. Fuck with him a little bit. We need to take him back down. We've we, we built him up for the last two episodes. We need to humble this man a little bit. Also, tell him that he wasn't that great in Arrested Development. His acting is still a little stilted. Hashtag tweet at Ron Howard. Uh, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag come at Ron Howard's throat. So thank you again for joining us. Like this, I'm sorry, this is not like... Normally, we're all happy and upbeat at the end. This this episode took a lot out of us. We said we were going to get into some shit with this show. I feel like we 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 fulfilled this promise more than we have ever before. Next time around, we're probably going to get into Andy the Marriage Counselor, which we're going to need an actual marriage counselor for, uh, hopefully. Uh, don't want to tease it too much. Otherwise, you know, thank you again to everybody who's been listening. Thank you. Keep Please keep sharing, rating, reviewing. It really helps us get into the earbuds of other listeners. And uh, thank you to everyone who's like listened in so far. Uh, we'll see y'all next time down at the fishing hole. <laughs>
like this harmonica joke is so bad and confusing that it's like it's starting to drive me insane like why it's the most do you want it's the most reoccurring bit on the show marty like they've done this joke more than the don knots accidentally firing a gun joke they've done it more than like any of the opie screaming jokes they keep doing the harmonica joke it's like it's practically like the what you talking about willis of the andy griffith show at this point and it doesn't make any sense 